So um, this evening I'd like to offer some reflections on the four Brahma-viharas, these great qualities of heart that uh, we hear about in the Buddha's teachings and maybe have our own relationship with and understanding of and the place that they have in our in our practice. And maybe the many different ways we can understand, we can connect with, and we can cultivate. And it's something that I... Um, yeah, I think this is one area of our practice, maybe, all, all area, maybe it's all like this, but I've really valued for myself a sense of creativity and flexibility and kind of allowing the imagination to come in and to, to that's really brought it to life for me, this practice. Um, so tonight, I, um, <laughs> I'm not sure I quite managed to get a talk together. Sometimes I say it feels like pushing peas around a plate, you know, I couldn't quite, but I've managed to stab a few. So I'm bringing you some peas. May they be nourishing. And and that sense of celebrating these great qualities. And perhaps as I go through the different offerings, some teachings, some poems and different things, just to invite you to to join me in. in Maybe I almost had this sense of I, I didn't light a candle at each corner for each one of them. May we bask in their warmth. You know, may we somehow in our practice and our life be part of of that light uh, for our own benefit and for the benefit of all. And um, I've often found a great richness in these teachings in a sense of how much, you know, however we practice them, how we cultivate them, how we understand them, that when we bring them to bear on our own experience, on our own, you know, you could say subjective sense of body, mind, heart, and whether we're trying to bring it into our speech and actions, whether we're trying to bring it into our communities, our places of work, I just feel like these these offer such... Um, I kind of feel like they're like the precepts in a way, you know, they... They're, they're guidance, they're, they're beacons, like uh, beacons to, to steer towards. And maybe, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, my big pile of Brahmavihara notes, you know, these are the peas I've selected. Um, I hope, as I mentioned on Thursday with that sharing that teaching, that I think there's some real value sometimes in reflecting on them all kind of in, in, in a sequence that there's some kind of way that they relate to and support each other um, and kind of help to balance our practice and our mind. So I want to share a teaching that I put together quite a while ago um, based on my own thoughts and uh, some of the writings of a, a, f- a friend, a former colleague, Paul Burrows. And I'm just going to share it with you. And um, it, it's kind of a way of perhaps just 
touching on some of the qualities of or aspects of each of the qualities and the way that they support and balance each other. So you know this uh, great Dharma question, what is needed? Have you heard that one from teachers, perhaps in talks or individually? It's like that part of our training where we're, we're trying to discern, you know, what's needed. And so having some understanding and connection and sometimes realizing oh, one of these qualities or what's needed. So... Metta, the love that connects, is an antidote to all forms of aversion. It is not attachment. If it slides into sentimentality, karuna brings the heart back into balance. Karuna, the love that responds, is an antidote to cruelty. It is not pity. If it slides into sorrow, mudita brings the heart back into balance. Mudita, the love that celebrates, is an antidote to envy. It is not competitive. If it slides into agitated excitement, upeka brings the heart back into balance. Upeka, the love that allows, is the antidote to partiality. It is not indifference. If it slides into disconnection, metta brings the heart back into balance. So, and perhaps we find also these qualities come forth when the heart is balanced, right? So that sense of how much more available and kind of uncovered they become as the mind clears and steadies and settles. And they're part of that kind of natural unimpeded responsiveness that we can uh, experience at times where these qualities just arise very naturally, very appropriately Uh, so that just to yeah, kind of remember that Um, but yeah, we're encouraged to to, uh, cultivate them to incline the mind and heart in that way So how do we do that? How do we do that? How do you do that? Many, many, many ways. Yeah, and I think finding what really helps, maybe I sometimes mention that I spent many years in the early years of my practice doing metta practice and feeling like I was banging my head against the wall. Nothing happened. <laughs> Repeating the words, and I guess, when's it going to come? You know, when am I going to feel more kind or something? But I did it, I did it, I did it. And I'm sure some, some benefit probably came from that. 
But for me, just to give two, two examples, like when I first went to Gaia House in 1989 to do my first retreat, I walked into that place and I didn't know it or would, was able to name it at the time, but I felt like I walked into a vast field of meta and kind of can sort of retros- retrospectively name it as that. I just felt like that was what hooked me in the Dharma. I oh, wow, they're really kind. And even after a whole week, they're still really kind. You know, it's like, you know, looking for the gaps and the, like, oh yeah, they, they kind of seem to be, but then they kick you or something, you know. No. So that, that was somehow, you know, again, in thinking of the many, many ways that we can cultivate these qualities and that they are cultivated in us. You know, uh, I can only mention a very few of here. I think that being in a space, being in a community where, you know, these qualities are valued, it's like, you know, <laughs> just get, get us a whiff of that. Or in my case, you know, that sort of like wave of it. And I think I feel so fortunate because I think, you know, my life has not... I feel like there's been lots of unskillfulness and, you know, going here and there and not doing probably what I should have done, all that kind of thing. But I think I was lucky that in the chaos that marked a lot of my younger life, I seemed to pick up this scent of kindness it's like ah and I can see even in many ways in many situations before I even met the Dharma I was homing in on that this is needed this is um, you know and again probably not very conscious not very named so many many ways maybe that we stumble into a realm of metta how lucky how fortunate for us and then we can be part of sharing in that and helping to offer that to others. How wonderful. You know, anywhere, not necessarily Dharma settings, but, you know, on the bus, you can cheer people up, you know. It's, or you can be, you know, I, I, I value that very highly as a way of cultivating metta as well, a way, you know, the kindness, the kindness of strangers, you could say, of just our human kin, who we never met before, we're never going to meet again. And they're kind, or we share some moment, or that's very, very important to me. But, you know, again, different ways. And I feel like one of the very important ways of cultivation of metta, maybe all of the Brahmaviharas, is noticing. Noticing. Noticing kindness. Uh, you know, maybe that could be a whole, a whole of the whole of the practice. Yeah. And it's like sometimes, you know, I learned from one of my teachers, Rob Babea, that you can, you can see it as a lens to look through. Like what happens if you look, like if I look out here and I look through that lens of goodwill sort of of well-wishing, but also of seeing the goodness in you, 
which I find easier to do one-on-one. When there's a group, it's a bit more, oh, they're a bit scary, you know. But I don't think you are. Really. Nobody's ever thrown a rotten tomato at me yet. It's like, <laughs> could happen, this could still happen. <laughs> right, it's all that sensitivity. And for a lot of us, it's sort of, you know, difficult to be around human beings and just be, you know, okay with that <laughs> for lots of reasons, you know, for lots of different reasons. So, you know, it's like looking through that lens and looking. And this was something I learned first, actually, in my Quaker life, in a former life as a Quaker. And there was this wonderful teaching I picked up when I was a teenager of looking, looking for that of God in people. And like I didn't really believe in God. That's never quite worked for me, but I didn't, never understood what that meant. But I really liked the idea of looking for the good in people. And so that's always as well been a way for me. I think that's a meta practice in a way. You know, and, and looking and not, not always being able to find you maybe or not always remembering to do that <laughs> with everybody. Um, so what is it for you? What has it been in your life? You know, who has taught you about kindness? I think that's a wonderful reflection because we wouldn't still be here if we hadn't had people who've been kind to us. At least I don't think so. And, and that sort of reflection, you know, the Buddha recommends these recollections, right, as a practice. And I think one of them, I would, it's not in, I haven't found it in the suttas, but, you know, he recommends maranasati. Maybe we could do metasati, you know, meditasati. It's a recollection of kindness, you know, that acts. It's a bit, you know, he would say, recollect your sila, recollect your good actions. Recollect the good actions of others, you know. It's, I mean, think about what we often think about. Wouldn't, that, wouldn't this be more fun? Very more pleasant. <laughs> so, again, just on the level of, okay, some themes we can get used to reflecting on, you know. Every day, or I don't know, just as often as we wish. So, um, I do want to spend a little bit of time on each one, so I can. I'm gonna have to. So, f- for those of you who are not into poems, sorry, there's a poem. You don't have to like it. Um, and maybe for some of us, this, this world, this language of metaphor and simile, and the Buddha uses it a lot, so it makes me feel a bit more okay with offering poems. That it's, it's what can connect and bring to life and evoke, right, and catalyze. Ah, oh, yes. And then in our meditation practice, you know, we use phrases, images, poems maybe, just to, oh, right, you know, even for a few moments, you know, maybe a longer time where we can just bask in that, like, like when you're re- with a really good friend, that feeling, even just remembering that. So to me, this poem has that effect. And one of the first times I came across it was at Guy House. If you don't know Guy House, it's great. I mean, this is great, but Guy House is great too. That's my... Yeah, anyway. So this poem was on the notice board in the Hermitage, which is the equivalent of kind of here, you know, the 
space for about 18 people to do personal retreat in the way that you are. And somebody put this on the board, and it was like, at least for some of us, it would be a, a bit of a pilgrimage to the <laughs> notice board to read the poem again. Oh, yeah, okay. Get some sucker and get some encouragement. So maybe it's that for you, but again, what is it for you? Who is it for you? It's so helpful to know and have it on the fridge and, you know, that kind of thing. So we, we, can, we can live with our friendly supports around us. So, Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. So... Thank you, Mary. So, moving on to Karuna. Karuna, compassion. Yeah, and again, this each of these could easily be a whole talk or a whole series of talks. But... Um, yeah, just a sense of what helps us again and again and again and perhaps more and more deeply be able to kind of strengthen our capacity to um, to meet suffering in ways that are responsive, you know, rather than reactive, you could say. And how, <laughs> how elusive that can be at times. And yet maybe the, again as a training, as a, as a cultivation to be able to evoke, catalyze this sense of compassion, again, through images, through story, through remembering, through particular, thinking of particular people who, for us, embody that. So all of those, like, what is it? So there's an element of inquiry, of, you know, we hear these words and we're like, what, what is that? How do, I, how do I recognize that? How does that feel? How can that be um, felt and known? Um, And I think it's often um, a sense of um, pain being met in a way that is non-reactive. Again, easier said than done. So... um, 
I wanted to share so many things. <laughs> this is a, a teaching from Joseph, Joseph Goldstein, and, and I, I've, I've, I feel like this is part of what I was trying to indicate in the, in the teaching yesterday, that the, 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 um, the cultivation of these qualities can be really thoroughly woven into our and mindfulness of breathing or whatever it might be that we're the way that we're practicing. So this is this is what he wrote. Oh wait a minute, not that one. That one. Right. In meditation practice when we settle back and are open to what's happening without aversion or attachment, we're developing compassion. I find that also interesting in terms of, so we might not think of it like that. We're just being mindful. We're just abiding and sometimes we have that sense, don't we? Somebody was saying, a miracle of miracles. We're abiding without any push-pull, without any preference. How wonderful. To give you moments of that. Did you know you were cultivating compassion? in those moments. It's very, very wonderful because I think for me, one of the things that points out is if we're, you know, when you're trying to show up for somebody else in some sort of caring, compassionate way, isn't so, isn't so much of kind of what gets in the way is actually our own, our own reactivity, our own kind of, in different ways, maybe attachment to Wanting to be helpful. Oh dear. Yeah, I know that one. Um, <laughs> or attachment to wanting the other person and needing the other person to be all right. You know, all of these things that come up. Or, or a, yeah, just aversion to either how, how they're manifesting or, or our, own, our own sense of, um, oh, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to say. <laughs> And we don't want to feel that. So I think, I think this is very... And you know, and I can think of... I have this one little story which... I wish I could always show up with people in that sort of open way, but maybe we can't. We just can't always. Um, and maybe that's okay. We do our best. We do, we do what we can. But this possibility of being kind of open and so I was a long time ago school teacher taught teenage girls and uh, one very beloved student you know was having a hard time in one way or another and just let me have it you know just exploded at me screaming shouting etc the whole thing and I remember we were in a stairwell you know in this school and (laughs) it's just like holding them the rail or something. It was just completely taken aback and wow. It was like having this great wind just blowing. And somehow in those moments it was so striking then and afterwards because it just went straight through me. Have you ever had that experience? Like it just it doesn't nothing tightened up with oh my God, you know, what's gonna happen to her and what's gonna you know, it was not it was just I think it was so surprised <laughs> It was just, 
there was just space, you know. Um, and, and then, and then I don't know, I can't really remember exactly what happened next. And I think also the other, the other thing is I just loved her so much. I think that helped. But I th- mostly think it was a surprise. <laughs> Maybe both. And sometime later on, I don't know, a couple of days or something, she, she brought me a bunch of flowers. And somehow in that space, you know, where you just allow people, I mean, there's some equanimity creeping in as well to this kind of story, this, this experience. But I think that, that that's, to me, part of what Joseph's pointing to. I don't know if I'll go and ask him when I see him again. Is this what you meant? <laughs> but that there's a kind of, this is our mindfulness practice, our steadiness. It's, it, can, it can actually enable us to, to show up and for compassion to just to, to, be, to be the natural response, you could say. Because yeah, there's not all this, oh dear, what am I going to do, and getting in the way. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So. Hmm. Abide pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with compassion. Likewise, the second, likewise, the third, likewise, the fourth. So above, below, around, and everywhere, and to all as to yourself, abide, pervading the all-encompassing world, with a mind imbued with compassion, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility, without ill will. If you want to, it's the way that the Buddha taught the, the Brahma Viharas. This is from Majjhima Nikaya 83, if you want to look it up. That quality of pervading and, and radiating in all directions, which is the way some people really like to uh, practice to cultivate these Brahma Viharas. Okay, so... On to Mudita. So it's like going into, they're all linked, aren't they? But it is like going into, I might do this thing tomorrow morning of my, my four beautiful rooms guided things. I just, it's like we're going into the Mudita room. What's in there? How is that? How is that room? What's the atmosphere like? And what can we learn how can we be nourished in that space? How can we contribute to that that space of joy, gladness, gladness in goodness, gladness in truth and beauty? Again, so many ways, so many ways. Mm. Okay, I don't want us to be on too long, so... Ways of sometimes, you know, gladdening the mind, that sense of being able to pick up on um, reflections, memories, images, sort of knowing how to, to gladden the mind, really, really helpful. And in terms of 
cultivating the Brahma Viharas, again, it's a kind of um, catalyzing or evoking and then kind of catching or tuning into or opening to that as an energy, right? as, a, as an atmosphere. Right? So however, again, so many different ways of doing that. Um, and I think remembering, remembering or imagining Sometimes we can't find a memory, but we can imagine being in a beloved place. You know, or just something nice that happened recently. Or a moment of generosity, or the beauty of, you know, of nature. The rabbit. Oh, just make me smile. That's a good one for me. And yeah, so 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 much, so many ways. Um, so I'd like to share. I have a, made up a little chant for each of the Brahma Viharas, and I'm not going to inflict all four on you. I'm going to share one. So I'll share my Mudita chant. And you're very welcome to just sit and listen or join in if you want. Part of why I share it is because to me it's, a, it's another way of cultivation. Both the creation of the words and the tune and the reflection that goes into that. And this sense of, yeah, the reflection and that sense of, yes, this is what it means or this is part of what it means to me. And singing, to me, singing and chanting, it's like, it's like this, isn't it? It's, it's sending sound out into the world. And I sometimes think that's part of why we need, yeah, we need to, to express and speak and, and, and sing and chant the Dharma and we need to hear it, right? So... Of course, the Buddha's teachings originally from it for a long time were also oral and aural. So to me, there's, there's some sense of the way that touches the body and the heart, and it's like it sort of seems to... So anyway, I'm going to share this. Um, f- you know, so if you are so inclined, you could make up your own. Here's this one. And I've, I've, I've created this little chant... Um, when I one one time a few years ago, I was in the UK and I I was cycling a lot around Cambridge, which is a place I love in England. And so when I when I share this chant, when I chant it, I have a nice happy memory. Cycling around Cambridge, singing my head off, you know, making this chant up. So it was fun. <laughs> So yeah, feel free to to join in if you if you would like, but also yeah, really, you don't have to. I know how that feels. So okay, so let's see. Savor every living moment. Finding beauty everywhere 
savor every dying moment, finding goodness everywhere. Savor every living moment, finding beauty everywhere. Savor every dying moment, finding goodness everywhere. <clears throat> Savor every living moment, finding beauty everywhere. Savor every dying moment. Finding goodness everywhere. Savor every living moment. Finding beauty everywhere. Savor every dying moment. Finding goodness everywhere. Savor every living moment, finding beauty everywhere. Savor every dying moment, finding goodness everywhere. Savor every living moment. Finding beauty everywhere, savor every dying moment, finding goodness everywhere. One more time, savor every living moment, finding beauty everywhere. Savor every dying moment, finding goodness everywhere. Thank you. So equanimity. Upeka. So, let's see, I'll share a little bit here. Maybe you know, we go through this journey, we feel these different, slightly different energy, don't they? And touch the heart in different ways. There's a kind of warmth and a spaciousness and a brightness. What's the quality of equanimity? How do you recognize that? How do you know that? Again, that's often part of the cultivation. We hear the words. How do we know it? How do we recognize? And often my sense is there's always some equanimity. Otherwise, again, I don't think we'd be here. So maybe more than you think. 
but as we all know, it's a very culminating quality. And all of these Brahma Viharas are sometimes called doors to the deathless. So I think it's really helpful to remember the power and the depth and the freedom that they can actually take us to in our life. Yeah. It's, it's a, such a, an amazing teaching because it feels so deeply pragmatic and about me and my crazy mind and my difficult bill I've got to pay, whatever it is, to the most sublime deliberation of the heart and the mind. It's a very, for me, it's a very complete teaching. So, so let's just make a, a bow to equanimity for a moment and just whatever you sense in yourself, whatever you know, you know, uh, um, let's see what do I want to share hmm. balance balancing I'm swaying like a tree can you feel your roots yeah, just some some image again imagery for some of us so helpful it's kind of yeah is there some of that or what would it be like to 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 feel that sense of the way trees extraordinarily resilient they do sometimes break but they also they bend and, and this sense of, a um, friend gave me this image of us being in the middle of a seesaw. You know those, what do you call them? I call them, England, England, you call them seesaws. You stand in the middle and it goes up and down. And you've this, so that sense of just balance and poise. I also recently had the image of it being like, I think this is in Biko and Alio's writing, it's being like you're in a canoe or a kayak. You know, and you're kind of, you know, this balance with the rowing. And if it goes off a bit, you go off that way. And then it's like, okay, no. It's quite a delicate thing to, to find that sort of rhythm and that delicacy of... And I think so that could be a helpful image maybe. Or surfing. I have never surfed in my life. But I understand it could be quite a good simile. <laughs> Surfing the waves of life, the waves of emotion, and finding our balance as the wave breaks over us and we fall into the sand, get sand in our mouth. And just stand up sideways onto the waves, I recommend, because that happened to me once. It was very embarrassing. But I found standing sideways, I don't know, I haven't quite developed the reasoning for that and the metaphor, but anyway or sideways when it helped rather than you know like this or kind of you know <laughs> so maybe it's because it's you're giving the wave a slightly narrower thing to you know on, so it can go more like that yeah anyway. walking evenly on uneven ground I love that especially around here because if you walk around here and all the roots and everything. And 
I found walking around here, I th- sort of think of it as a good equanimity practice. As maybe hopefully the mind can learn something from the body's skill and sense of you know balancing through all the changing. Kind of the ground keeps changing, but you know we don't fall over. Or if we fall over, we get up again. Hopefully. I also love the image of a keel, the keel of a boat. Am I using the right, the thing that sticks right down into the water? And again, I, I don't know, maybe it's just the mind that these images can be really, really kind of affect the, almost like the mind, you know, energy follows attention. The mind is made of energy and attention has a shape. So maybe it's not so strange. So that sense of a keel that goes deep into the water, that even when the boat is rocking, it doesn't tip over. So that sense of even when there's a storm, like I recently went through a bit of a storm, create you know mind, emotions, etc. And I definitely had this kind of sense of the keel. It's like okay, I'm not going to tip over completely. <laughs> and something like you know sometimes maybe equanimity has that quality of like like the sky spacious mind so vast so wide and spacious you know that experience phenomena just of can move through because there's so much space when we're very narrow maybe things get more mm, sticky and then uh, one lots more images again see what helps you and I'd like to finish this talk with this with this image image of a mountain I always I always look at this rock I come in this little mountain, a little mountain, the Buddha on it. That's helpful, helpful image for me. So this um, is a kind of a little poem teaching from Sharon Salzberg from her, her book, The Kindness Handbook, which is in the library, and it's on page 34. So I'll just share this with you. And then we can, let me just sit for a couple of moments together. I'll sit like a mountain. Sit with a sense of strength and dignity. Be steadfast. Be majestic. Be natural and at ease in awareness. No matter how many winds are blowing, no matter how many clouds are swirling, no matter how many lions are prowling, be intimate with everything and sit like a mountain.
May we be blessed and bless others with warmth of heart and kindness of heart or gladness of heart and a deep, deep peace and steadiness of equanimity. Thank you for your kind attention. (laughs) So let's just close our time together by uh, chanting the reflections on the sharing of blessings. The goodness that arises from my practice. May my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world, May the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, May all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless. Through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing, May all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana 
in every kind of birth. May I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge. Unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble guide. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, May darkness and delusion be dispelled. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.